Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to episode 43 of the Relaxed Dog Podcast, brought to you by therelaxeddog.com. Thank you very much for listening. I am your host, Robert Ober, and I hope that you and your dog are well. I'm just going to start by issuing you a challenge, and that is listen to three episodes before making up your mind if this doesn't live up to your expectations. This week, we'll be interviewing Robert Forto. But first, in some doggy news, got a couple of medical sort of stories. And that first one is in northern Turkey, a dog by the name of Bonkuk saw her owner being taken away to hospital. Um, So Bonkuk followed the ambulance and waited outside the hospital for some time. Um, The lady's daughter took the dog to look after it, but the dog got away and made its way back to the hospital again. So the dog stayed there for another day until they released the owner, and now they're back home together again. That's some uh, dedication. Also, in China, in Henan province, there was a little article about a gentleman that had to put on a ventilator when he was going to sleep. And as soon as he put the uh, device on for the first time, his golden retriever ran towards him and basically almost jumped onto the bed and just sort of put a paw up and watched over him. Um, The dog refused to sort of leave the, the bedside and when he takes the ventilator off, the dog's sort of like off duty again. So he's sort of watching over him every night as he sleeps with the ventilator on. And now for this week's interview. Hey, welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. I'm here with Robert Forto. How are you? Pretty good, thank you. And let everyone know where you are. I am calling in today from Willow, Alaska. It's about an hour and a half north of our largest city, Anchorage. Wonderful. Nice place. And there's a little bit of snow around at the moment. We have about four feet of snow on the ground, and I believe it's about uh, minus 15 degrees Fahrenheit right now. Nice and refreshing. Yes. <laughs> so I'm guessing people might know that uh, we might be talking a, about a mushing dog. And who are we going to talk about today? 
Today, we are talking about my buddy, Bodie. He is a Siberian Husky. He's 10 years old. And yes, he is a sled dog. And he has had one heck of an adventurous life for sure. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. As per usual, I'm going to ask you to go back in time to just before the two of you met and talk us through the hows and whys of how you got together. Okay. Well, I started uh, dog mushing way back in 1994. I was in college at the time in Portland, Oregon, and I took a trip to Georgia and I went to a uh, Siberian Husky breeder and she said, hey, would you guys like to go for a ride on a cart? And I said, sure. And she hooked up a whole team of sled dogs and we took off through the mountains of Georgia and I was hooked. And I went there with the intention of buying one dog at the time and ended up taking two dogs home. And and as they say, the rest is history. Before too long, I was doing mushing events uh, pretty much all over North America. At one point I had... Uh, about 30 or so Siberian Huskies, but this was well before Bodie. In 2010, I was living in Denver, Colorado. My wife and, and uh, our kids were there. We were operating a training center there, a dog training center, and I'd always wanted to get back into mushing. It had been several years since I had been involved with sled dog sports, and I thought, what better way to get involved with this than take a trip to Alaska? So uh, a friend of mine, he's an Iditarod musher. His name is Hugh Neff. He invited me up uh, for the start of Iditarod in 2010. So I flew up and uh, did the uh, whole handling thing for him at the ceremonial start downtown and had a blast. And uh, in passing, uh, he had a friend named Dave who was also a realtor. And he handed me a card right before I was getting ready to fly out back down to Denver. And he said, hey, if you ever are looking for a place in Alaska, here's my card, give you a call. So this, as I mentioned, was the start of I Did Rod, which was in March. And by... May, I was actively thinking about moving up to Alaska. So in the meantime, I had uh, become Facebook friends with a, uh, who is now a friend of mine. Her name is April Cox. And she had a litter of Siberians. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is something that, that uh, I have thought about for, for many, many years. So I thought, well, I'm going to fly over there and uh, pick out uh, another one of our dogs. Her name is Reagan. And I ended up buying Reagan. And before too long, we had moved up to Alaska and it was time to start a mushing kennel. As so right do. after we, <laughs> yes, yes. So right, right after we arrived, uh, I thought, wow, you can't start a mushing kennel with one dog. So I, I called my friend April back and said, hey, do you happen to have any more puppies coming soon? And she said, was well, a matter of fact, I I do. And this was in about August. Remember, March is when I came up the first time. And here we are in a new home and starting a mushing kennel 
only what six months later now and she had mentioned that she had a little red and white dog uh that she would be willing to place with me so before you know it uh Bodie flew up and joined our our kennel here and uh we pretty much started with uh two Siberians and here we are 10 years later, we have 35 sled dogs and we operate a training center up here and my wife and kids are up here and we're living the dream. Nice, sounds very nice. And, and Bodie's been there along for the ride since, well, almost day one. Since day one, I think he came up in September of that year. So yeah, he's been with us uh, for the long haul. So how how young was he when he made the uh, the trip up there? Ah, uh, he was just about uh, eight, nine, ten weeks old. He wasn't very old at all. He was just a little uh, uh, fluffy Siberian at the point. So it would have been uh, interesting from his point of view. That uh, hang on, whoa, what's all this white stuff, and why is it so cold? <laughs> right. So how was the the early sort of like transition, uh, not being sort of like. Um, the first sort of like eight weeks of his life, did you sort of notice anything or that you can think of back then that you now know because you're far more knowledgeable and having bred up there as well? Well, you know, that, that's an interesting question. As I as I said, we already had uh, another Siberian uh, from the same kennel. Her name is Reagan. So she was a little bit older. She's a little bit more than a year older than uh, than Bodie is. So they got along great, uh, you know, uh, as they say, uh, the the older dogs will teach the younger dogs new tricks and and Reagan tolerated her him at that point, you know, when you have a rambunctious puppy and a little bit uh, 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 older, uh, still a puppy, but definitely older. Uh, he, she got picked on quite a bit, but they they became quick friends. And uh, as as I speak right now, they're they're laying on the couch behind me. And uh, as we say, uh, they're, they're boyfriend and girlfriend, and they have been for for over a decade oh, that's now. Nice, that's nice. So, what was um, the environment like where you moved into as a sort of like very rural or it's nice we have about uh four four and a half acres up here and our property backs up to to uh hundreds of miles of mushing trails most of them are public use trails it will never be developed and we can literally hook up a dog team right from our backyard we just did it this evening and take off for miles and miles and miles so we have a beautiful place here we like to say we live in the wilds of alaska and you could literally run to the end of the earth right here from our backyard if you uh, wanted to. Sounds like an awesome spot to have. Yeah, it is beautiful. So how was Bodie uh, through the first few, few months of being there? Uh, interesting question there. As we started uh, getting our feet wet as Alaskan mushers, and it was much, much different than I was used to down in the lower 48. I did a lot of my uh, sled dog racing in Minnesota and Colorado and a whole different 
animal than what we have up here in Alaska. Uh, a, a different type of terrain, a different type of dog, a different type of mushing altogether. So I was learning right along with uh, with Bodie and Reagan. I had acquired quite a few Alaskan Huskies at that point from several friends of mine. And we were gradually building up our kennel. And at the time I was kennel partners with a, a neighbor down the road. He had, ha he has uh, a sled dog kennel as well. So I would go over there and, and hook up dogs and, you know, take them out for runs and whatnot. But I'd always take over Bodie and Reagan, who are still relatively young pups at this point. This is the first winter. So they're not even, uh, you know, they're, they're not even harness broke yet. So I remember taking Bodie over to, to our neighbors there and we would hook him up uh, to, to one of the swivels that, that, that sled dogs use. And he would sit there as just a little pup and he would watch the comings and goings of, of the dog teams. And, you know, he was learning how to be a sled dog as, uh, as we would go over there. And then of course, in the evenings, he and Reagan and I would come back and, and, you know, we would settle in to, uh, the life of a pet dog. So he, he has a, the unique position, both he and Reagan, of being not only uh, world-class sled dogs, but also uh, the perfect house pet. As I mentioned, they're, they're enjoying life right now uh, on the couch behind yeah, that's me. That's a, a nice combination. And, and personally, it's, I think, uh, I know it's when you've got a, a team of 30-odd, it's hard to do to have them in your house. But I think if you've got a small number, it should be a, a shared sort of accommodation thing. And it's nice to have the company of your dog inside. Of course. And you know, what's interesting is yeah, a lot of people say, well, how come the, the, the sled dogs, you know, how can they afford to, to live outside all the time? And and I tell people all the time, most of the time, those guys, they don't want to be inside. They want to be outside with their buddies, with their pack. And often if they come inside, if they're sick or injured, or if they have to go to the vet or whatever, we will bring them inside and they don't want to be here. They'll stand right by the front door and they'll howl and sing and carry on. They want to be outside with their buddies. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, the like harness training and that with Bodhi. What? When did you start that? I think he ran in his first harness run at about, I don't know, six, seven, eight months old. It was later that first winter when I hooked him up in harness and and it was just a, a couple of dog team, maybe a two or three dog team. And I hooked him up and uh, you never quite know what you're getting when you get a, a, a dog that hopefully will be a sled dog. You don't know if they're going to have that genetic uh, instinct that, you know, just want to pull and go or it takes quite a bit of training. But Bodie was one that uh, we put a harness on him and he was ready to go. And that that is a unique uh, quality with with sled dogs because you don't do a lot of training with sled dogs per se as you know as you do with your pet dogs you know you're teaching them sit and stay and down and all that what you're doing with sled dogs is teaching them how to pull and pull hard and pull for for long distances of course but most of their training comes from the the dogs around them, their partners on the line. That's who's doing the real training with sled dogs. So we ended up hooking Bodie up to some really uh, uh, good 
uh, partners, whether they're lead dogs or or just team dogs, and they taught him the ropes for sure. Oh, nice, nice. And um, sort of during that time, did did you like go out for like hiking and stuff like that with with Bodie as well, or he was sort of like more or less kept as a a working and slash slash professional sort of dog? Uh, he he goes all over the place with me. Uh, one of the things that we've done in the past with a lot of our dogs, and since we have so many so many of them, we try to spend quality time with each dog. So we we like to say that it's you know it's Bodie's day today, or Sydney's day today, or Reagan's day, or Apollo's day, or whatever, and we'll load them up, and they get to spend that whole day with us, and we'll go into town and you know do errands and uh, get them a puppuccino from the Starbucks and just have a grand time with them. And Bodie has always been uh, one of those dogs that loves to travel. And he's, he's been all over the place with me in, in the car and whatnot. And, and he still likes to, to jump in the car and, and go and, and uh, just enjoy a car ride wherever we're going. Nice. Does he have a uh, favorite spot in the car? Oh yeah, he. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, 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 a Toyota Tundra, he will stand with his feet on the console uh, in between the two seats there. So he's sitting in the back seat there, and he will stand right there between the two seats and uh, be the co-pilot for sure. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> Did you um, ever come across any interesting wildlife in the in the hiking sort of? sort of like area when he was younger, not when he was sort of like on a team? We did. Uh, I remember several years ago, my wife, Michelle, and I took Bodie on a hike uh, up, uh, they call it Independence Pass area. And we were hiking. It was, I don't know, maybe a, a 10 or a 12 mile hike. And and we were, as we were hiking, we had to traverse over these huge refrigerator sized boulders. They were, they were humongous. And Bodie and I were, were on the boulders and my wife, she was a little bit further away on the trail portion. Of course, I had to I had to see if we could conquer these boulders. So as we were walking through these boulders, we heard this high-peached screech. It almost sounded like a child's scream. And we, we couldn't figure out what it was. And Bodhi was on point. His ears were perked up and he was just trying to figure out what was going on. And before we knew it, we looked over to our right side and I I can swear that it was a, a Wolverine uh, pretty ticked off at it at us. So we were in his or her territory there and he did not like Bodhi and I being in our his uh, his domain there. And and I tell you what, Bodhi caught whiff of him or, or sight of him and he took off and I was attached to him in a harness around my waist. So sort of like a ski door harness. Mm -hmm. And he took off running and we were on those boulders and, and we both slipped and fell into a, a crevice there of these boulders and, and these boulders were along a creek bed and we both fell into the water and then both of us got wet and my wife Michelle's hollering at us to get back on shore and it was quite the adventure because we had at least six seven eight mile hike back down the mountain before we could get back to the truck and uh, that was an adventure we will never forget oh, what sort of temperatures do you recall 
around that time. Oh, it was summer. It was oh. summertime, so it was it was nice temperature, well into the sixties or seventies for sure. Oh, interesting. Can you recall any other times like that where you've sort of had that sort of like thought, like oh or oh, no, and. You know, I don't I don't remember, Robert, if Bodie was on the team when we had our encounter with the moose. Uh, it, it, it's highly possible because he's ran on a, a, most of the runs with me. But uh, one time we were and I don't know how old he is here, but when you're talking about wildlife, but we were cruising around uh, with a, with a sled dog team. I don't know if I had eight or 10 or 12 dogs on the line and it was a really deep snow year. So when you're mushing through our trails, of course, as you're, as they groom the trails, they, it kicks up the snow into sort of banks on the side. So you're sort of running through a tunnel. You know, it, it's about waist high, these, these drifts on each side. And we were cruising at a pretty good clip. And all of a sudden we went around a turn. And within a, within a second, I saw all the dog's ears perk up. And like they knew something was there. And in a split second, here comes this huge, moose and he just jumped over the sled dog team as we drove by right over from one berm to the other didn't miss a beat scared us to death wow. and i tell you what that is the the closest i've ever come to a, to any wildlife much less a huge moose and and moose in alaska are are the size of of uh, a pickup trucks they are huge <laughs> and uh that 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 scared uh, the bejesus out of me for sure oh i can just imagine <laughs> <laughs> Okay, going back to Bodie and when he was a bit younger, um, can you take us through like his introduction and, and into becoming a, a member of the team and getting a, a regular run? So about the time he was turning a year old, which is a prime time where where uh, sled dogs really really become part of the team, uh, we were hosting a podcast with a friend of mine called the Cyb Vibe, and she is uh, a lady in New York. She has she had at the time five Siberians, and she propositioned me to write a children's book. So we thought, okay, that will be kind of cool. And, and uh, my wife and I thought about what can we write about? And we ended up writing a book called A Musher's Dream. And it showcases Bodie and Reagan and sort of their upbringing here in Alaska and them coming of age of sled dogs. So what this story is, is about uh, us moving to Alaska, getting those two dogs and of course thinking about running the big race one day uh, the Iditarod so Bodie is the star of that of that uh, of that book and I, I'm going to get your address after we get off the show I would love to send you a copy of that Robert I think you would really like that yeah definitely I'll get some get some links if anyone else is interested to of course available on Amazon or whatever else Yes, yeah, we'll we'll shoot over some links and all that. So at about the same time that the book was published, and this is, 
I don't know, seven or eight, nine years ago now, since he's he's almost 10 now, uh, he was becoming a sled dog. So this is about the time where we were thinking about where is he going to run in his first races? Where, what are we going to, what position are we going to train him for? Is he going to be a lead dog or a team dog or a wheel dog? And we could talk a little bit about that if you'd like a little later on. But uh, we decided at that point that uh, our daughter, Nicole, I believe was 15 at the time, and she wanted to run the Junior Iditarod, which is a 150-mile sled dog race, pretty much right in our backyard. And we thought, well, Bodie will make a good member of that team. It was a team of 10 sled dogs and Bodie and both Reagan ran in that race and uh, did, did very well. They finished the race, I, even though they did come in last in what they call the red lantern in the sport mm-hmm. of dog mushing, but uh, they did finish. And that was his first long distance race of many more to come. Ah, just, just getting to the start lines, the, uh, the, the, uh, a big achievement and I always think if you get there well then the rest is just icing right icing on the cake as they say and so was there something that you sort of saw in him earlier on you know as I said it, it's it's interesting to 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 see the progression of a sled dog many many dogs it takes six months or a year for them to really become their own sled dog you know where they get their you know get their their footing right and they develop the right way and you know they have the ability to be an athlete and Bodie was one of those dogs a lot of it comes down to genetics and, and good breeding and and all of that and since we did get him from a sled dog kennel of course you know the odds were in his favor that he would be a good sled dog and at that time you know you, you judge a sled dog by how well they run and of course their their endurance and their perseverance and all of that and at the time he was a hard worker he he would go just about on any any run that we hooked him up to and he found his own as a wheel dog and uh, a wheel dog are are the dogs right in front of a sled in in mushing terms. So if if you think about American football, the lead dogs are sort of like the quarterbacks. They're they're the uh the Hollywood stars. They're the, you know, the ones that are in all the pictures and on the website and all that. <laughs> they're the ones that they're the ones that get all the all the glory, as they say. And then as you work your way back, you have swing dogs, which are the second dogs there in command. Usually they're up and coming leaders. Then you have a group of team dogs, depending on how many dogs you have in your team. And then at the very back of the team, right in front of the dog sled are the wheel dogs. And those in American football parlance, those are the offensive linemen. Those are the big broody guys, you know, the, the knuckleheads, uh, the, the strong dogs, the big dogs. And, and Bodie's a pretty big boy. I think he's about 65 pounds or so, which is a big Siberian. And uh, he found his, his uh, spot right there in wheel and uh, pretty much runs there in every, every, every run that he runs. He's right there in wheel. Ah, nice. And how are his interactions with the rest of the team members? 
It's not always been pleasant. Bodie thinks he's the alpha dog, so uh, he does not get along very well with the with the other male dogs in the kennel. He does not uh, uh, heed too kindly to them. But uh, he's he's a ladies' man. He like he likes the ladies. <laughs> um, would you say that he has any uh, weird or individualistic sort of habits? He has a a really weird habit. And I know you have a question coming up uh, <laughs> soon about uh, about uh, the craziest thing he eats. But uh, Bodie has a fascination with Skittles candy. Every night, Robert, uh, <laughs> Bodie and Reagan head upstairs to to our bedroom. And remember, I'm a dog trainer by trade. This is what I do for a living. So most dog trainers tell pet owners that their dog should not sleep in their bed, right? Well, well that's, that, that's well, arguable, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that is. But anyway, Bodie, every night, as soon as we, it, it's interesting, uh, you're familiar with the uh, with the sound uh, of, of Netflix or something when it ends, it has that sort of that music, uh, you know, that, uh, that closing music when you close the app. Well, Bodie knows that music. So when we're about ready to turn the TV off, he can be sound asleep here on the floor or he'll hear that music and all of a sudden he'll jump up from a dead sleep uh, in on the uh, kitchen floor where he's at and he'll make a beeline upstairs to the bedroom. And we work our way up there and we will find Bodie posted up on the bed, ready and waiting for his Skittles. And every night they get a few Skittles uh, we have a little jar at the side of the bed and uh, he will get a few and he, he'll sit up there patiently waiting to get his Skittles fixed before bedtime. And it's uh, something he's done his entire life. And uh, we call him the Skittles kid. Uh, even uh, when we, <laughs> even when we've gone on mushing races, I will take a bag or two of Skittles and I will give them to the dogs. And, uh, and it just was one of those things that we do it's just one of the ways that we've connected with our dogs and they've they're all becoming the skittles kid after Bodie. yeah you just haven't uh let out a uh mushing secret there have you i have <laughs> i have let out a secret <laughs> seeker for sure <laughs> you can see the uh massive bags of skittles going around at the next iditarod <laughs> <laughs> yes it's possible maybe a sponsorship i don't know <laughs> Um, since you mentioned it, I will ask that question now. I don't know if it's going to be different or you're going to elaborate on the on the Skittles, but I usually ask everyone to complete the sentence, I can't believe my dog ate. Oh, this is great. And I was thinking about this as I listened to your last episode uh, with, with, uh, with your guests. And it, this is another really interesting story. We like to say Bodie goes shopping. And uh, if, we, if we don't watch him too closely, he will sneak into the kitchen and he'll, he'll pull off a, uh, you know, uh, an oven mitt off, off the counter or, you know, he'll sneak up and, and grab something off the counter that, uh, that he's looking for one time, uh, he jumped up on the counter. And remember, I'm a dog trainer, so we we let we let our dogs do what they need. You can't you can't be on the job 24 seven, Robert. So we have to <laughs> let our guard down every now and then. So one time he jumped up on the counter and grabbed an entire stick of butter. Uh, 
And before we can get to him, and, and, and the kitchen's not too far from the living room, before we get to him, he had scarfed down an entire cube of butter. Whoa. And uh, and he has been a butter fan ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have any sort of uh, ill effects? No ill effects. I think uh, I think he has a stomach of iron. He never gets sick. Oh, that's that's a, a good sign. It could have been a little bit messy. Right? Yes. <laughs> um, okay, going. What about uh, his sort of racing career? So, does he have a preference? Do you think for shorter or longer racing or? Uh, Bodie has done both uh, sprint races, mid-distance, and we do a lot of expedition races. I, I teach a class at the local college where we'll take uh, students out on a 170-mile trip with sled dogs and snow machines and fat bikes and all that. And they te we teach these, these students how to become... Uh, you know, adventurers out in the Alaska backcountry. And, and Bodie really likes to do that. It's pretty laid back. Uh, we're just going from point A to point B. Uh, Siberians have have not been historically the best sprint dogs. There's a, a lot of a lot of breeds out there that are a lot faster than Siberians. So we go out there just for fun to hang out with other dog teams when we run sprint races. And distance races, uh, he, he holds his own. He has been in two junior Iditarods with my daughter, several other long distance races with her. And I believe, I was thinking about this before we went on air, eight or nine distance race or mid-distance races with me of at least 100 up to 300 miles. Uh, he has raced in those races with me. He has been in every mid-distance race that I have ran in Alaska. and But now, as he's 10 years old now, his racing career is pretty much over. He'll still go running around uh, what I call runs around the block, which are eight or nine or 10-mile runs. But uh, his his mushing career in terms of racing is about over. Mm -hmm. So you still got to use him to pass on his knowledge? Yes, yes. He has taught many a dogs on the way. Uh, as I mentioned, he's not the, the best with the male dogs, but he will work with the female dogs and and uh, teach them as they go for sure. Okay. So you have any favorite games that he likes to play? Uh, Siberians are not big game players. Uh, he does like to play with the ball. I, I'm surprised that uh, that he is a fetching dog. It's not typical for Siberians, but he is a uh, he is a fetcher at least in the house. He'll run back and forth, uh, chasing after the ball and and doing that. But uh, he right now, Robert, he's content just hanging out and and being the the house dog and and living the best life he could. Ah, and as he should, enjoy the retirement phase. Right. <laughs> um, what about special treats that you can give him a little bit more now than when he was uh, actively racing? 
Well, as we mentioned, his favorite by far are Skittles, but uh, he loves cheese. Uh, he, he will eat uh, as much cheese as you can possibly give him. He is also pretty partial to Dorito chips. He loves Dorito chips for some reason. <laughs> and and uh, he and I will, will share a bowl when we're watching a movie. And and when you get the book, you'll see a, a little part of the story where they're, where they're sitting on the couch and they're eating a bowl of popcorn. And uh, <laughs> This is all illustrated, you know, it's a, a children's book. So he uh, he loves popcorn, but uh, uh, you know, sled dogs they they love fish snacks. So he he loves to have uh, salmon and that sort of thing. And and I, I don't know, he's he's sort of like that old commercial from the '70s where uh, you know the little the little kid named Mikey would eat anything. That's Bodie. <laughs> nice. Um. I know you mentioned the the moose earlier, but uh, any other sort of like dramatic sort of times during a, a race that you can recall? Yeah, yep, we we could probably talk about those forever. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was one race that I went on. It was called the Tustamina Two Hundred, which is down on the peninsula of Alaska. So you're, you're racing in, in what they call the caribou hills. The caribou hills, Robert, are mountains. They are huge. Uh, and uh, we were, we were mushing uh, in this race. It was my first 200 mile race in Alaska. And I had no idea uh, what I'd gotten into. I'd definitely bitten off more than I could. And we took off down the trail and the idea behind this race is, is you go to a 50-mile race, you stop and, and, and do a quick check-in, and then you go to 100 miles, and then you are uh, at that checkpoints for several hours. I believe it's a six-hour layover. But part of this race, uh, it was very difficult up and down these mountains. And I remember Bodie was in wheel with me with, uh, with his buddy Reagan, and I was so dehydrated. It was so late at night. I was not prepared for this whatsoever that I began having hallucinations from sleep deprivation in the whole nine yards. Typical musher story here. Mm -hmm. But uh, I thought for sure it was, I don't know, three or four o'clock in the morning. And I thought for sure that a, uh, a pterodactyl was chasing us, you know, the big flying dinosaurs. Yes. <laughs> and I thought for sure I was being attacked by a pterodactyl. And this was all because of dehydration and uh, and uh, lack of sleep over many, many weeks of, of mushing. And I remember pulling into that checkpoint and the other mushers were talking, hey, they would, they would say to themselves, hey, did you see those big snow owls out there on the trail? And, and you know, another musher would say, oh yeah, I saw, I saw two or three of them flying back and forth. So my pterodactyl happened to be snow owls, but I tell you what, I thought for sure I was being attacked by dinosaurs. Well, you know, that's the wilds of Alaska. <laughs> right. <laughs> ah, nice. Um, during his career racing, how has he been health-wise? And have there ever been any sort of like serious issues that he had? Never serious any issues, and that this is a big point to make to to your listeners uh, with sled dogs. You know, most people, and as I have mentioned, I, I'm a, a dog trainer by trade, so I, I meet with 
bunches of clients every week. And you always hear of people taking their dog to the vet for this and that, whether they're, they're sick or they're throwing up or they have diarrhea or, or whatever, they're always in the vet. And it is a pretty rare occasion that a sled dog ends up in the vet. And I was thinking about this question before we went on air. The only time Bodie has been to the vet has been like a muscle strain or or anything like that. Nothing major. He's never been sick. He's never been injured too terribly. And that is for most of our dogs. And when people think, wow, you have 30 sled dogs. How in the world do you have enough money to take care of them at the vet, you know, with all that? And we have a very low vet bill. Almost all of our veterinary care we do ourselves. We give all of our vaccinations and and, and that sort of thing ourselves because they're just, you know, they're bred to be hardy animals. They're bred to do this as a job and as of a life. And you can't have dogs with a lot of genetic problems or predispositions to being sick or unhealthy or bad breeding or anything. So a lot of people, a lot of dog mushers have really healthy dogs. And if other pets out there, you know, there's there's a gamut of other breeds out there that people have. If they could take some of the, the ideals behind uh, the breeding and care of working dogs, I think that a lot of people would have a bunch more healthy dogs than they have today. Mm, yep, not going to argue with that. I'm just going to say also it's a, a testament uh, to the care and the understanding of the dogs that you guys have had that sort of like reflects on their their health. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, we're spending hours with our dogs every day. We're down feeding them and picking up after them and taking care of them and not to mention running them and, and doing all that. So we spend lots of time with our dogs every day. And uh, that that's what dog ownership's all about. If you can spend quality time with your dog, however you do it, whether you have a pet Labrador or a working sled dog or a hunting dog or whatever, that's what it's all about. It's having that uh, relationship with your dog and, and uh, having, having the best life that they possibly can the time that they have with us. Uh, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned genetics. Has Bodhi been used much in your breeding we have not bred a lot of, of uh, litters here. I think we've had three or four litters in the uh, over 10 years that we've been here. And almost all of those dogs stay with us. We, we have a couple of dogs that, uh, that have moved on. But uh, another cool story about Bodie, he did... Uh, have an accidental litter with with one of our females and uh, they had a group of puppies and one of those dogs did not make it as a sled dog but went on to be a service dog for a young man uh, with autism and some other mental health issues and is working as we speak, one of Bodhi's protégés or, or offspring or whatever you'd, uh, progenies, I guess it would be the right word. Uh, offspring is working there uh, with this young man and has been for 
eight years now. My wife's talking in the background and her name is Bree Bree. And she, uh, she has saved that young man's life on several occasions from suicide and, and suicide attempts and that sort of thing. And uh, his, uh, his genetics live on through, through the good work with Bree Bree and some of the other dogs in that, uh, in that, uh, litter are still with us today and, and occasionally run here and there. They're eight or nine years old now, I guess themselves. So they're, they're getting up there in age as well. Yep. That's always amazing how to, to a lot of people, the, the diversity when you say a certain breed and then they get sort of stereotyped, but it's a lot of the time, well, no, because most Breeds, uh, they they can still do lots and lots of different things. <laughs> they can, and as a matter of fact, Bodie is a registered therapy dog as well. And uh, he goes to the library and he puts on a little vest and he will read with kids. And we've taken him to many school events. And yeah, he's been to talk about uh, sled dog rights at the city council and all sorts of things. And he, uh, he puts on a different vest, as they say, or a different harness. He puts on a little red bandana and uh, he'll go to work as, as a therapy dog. And I guess he's been doing that for five years or so. So about half his life, he's been a, a certified therapy dog as well. Okay, that's nice. I was going to ask how long for, but I'm also going to ask how did that sort of avenue of Bodie's career sort of come about? My wife is a service and therapy dog trainer. That's her part of our dog training business. So she works with a lot of different clients and in a lot of different areas. And one of the things that she does do is, is do... Uh, therapy dog training. Of course, they have to have the temperament and they have to pass a test and, and all of that. And since Bodhi has been, uh, you know, moonlighting as, as a house dog and, you know, sled dog the rest of the time, he has found his way to be uh, pretty good with, with people and, and other, you know, other people outside of the mushing world. So going to visits and things have sort of been second natures to him. And uh, he's done very well with that. He passed his test and, uh, and uh, does very well at these, uh, these visits and school events and whatnot. Ah, oh, nice, nice. Do you find him sort of bonding to any particular type of person? He does real well with kids. Every every year we take our, our one or two of our sled dogs to the local schools to talk about Iditarod and mushing and all that. And we often go to the kindergarten, first grade, second grade age kids. And he loves that age of kids, those uh, six, seven, eight-year-olds. He really has become attached to and does very well with that age. Ah, very, very nice. Uh, that's going to be continuing. Yep, we we as a, we have a visit this week actually, so we're looking forward to that. I don't know if he's going to come along or, or another one of our sled dogs, but uh, he will uh, he will fit in there somehow. No, no, excellent. So, what sort of um, rough percentage of your running team also do that crossover into the? Um, service dog work or assistance dog work? Very little. As I mentioned, the only reason that uh, that dog, Bree, went on because she she couldn't make it as a sled dog. She was one of those few dogs that we talked about a while ago that, that never 
did well in harness. They just, she just didn't want to run. So we had to figure out another job for her to do. And she just took to this young man. He came up for a visit and, and uh, they really bonded together. And we thought, we thought that, uh, you know, they were just going to be pets. And as a matter of fact, they do share a birthday, which is kind of interesting that, uh, that the, 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 the working team there share a birthday, but, uh, they really bonded together and did well. But most of the dogs, I would say, Robert, uh, you know, they're content doing what they do. They have one job and they love doing it. Mm -hmm. Can't argue with that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Excellent. Um, so in the house, you mentioned, so there's Bodie and Reagan. Do you get other other animals or anything else inside the household? Any other pets? Part of our training uh, program is we offer uh, a boarding portion of that. So we do have dogs coming and going in our house from time to time. And almost always, uh, Bodhi does not associate with those dogs, you know, because those are, those are invaders to his, his house, if you will. They're, they're, they're unwelcome visitors, as they say. I mean, they're here for training, so they're, they're wild and rambunctious and they don't have any manners yet. That's why they're here. So, you know, to him, they are unwelcomed invaders. So he, he keeps them at a distance. Oh, okay. Even the females? Uh, the females he'll he'll uh, be uh, attracted to if you know what I mean, but uh, we don't we don't mix a lot of the uh, the client dogs with our own dogs, you know, just mm-hmm. for health reasons and all that sort of stuff. Oh, absolutely, totally understandable. Um, do you think that he sort of likes uh, a certain temperature range, and do you think that's sort of varied now that he's sort of like a little bit older? You know, sled dogs love a temperature from about 10 10 above zero to 10 below zero Fahrenheit. That is the optimal working working temperature for dogs. They really enjoy that temperature. Uh, Bodhi himself, I, I, I think he's comfortable whether it's minus 30 degrees or 50 or 60 degrees. I don't think he minds, but you will find that sled dogs really hit that groove that, that, uh, you know, they, you, they hit that sweet spot. If you say at that, that optimal temperature that I just mentioned. Wow. Oh, excellent. So just thinking with him, um, now staying inside the house and in, in the bed, is uh, showing any signs of uh, look? Yeah, this is a, a little bit more comfortable here than than being outside. Of course, he he still goes outside every day. He and Reagan spend their days outside when we're you know we're doing our thing, whether we're at work or or whatever we're doing. They will spend their days outside with with the pack, so to speak. And then in the evenings, we will bring those guys in because they've been in the house their entire lives. So they're sort of the house dogs of the group. But uh, he has no problems going out. As I mentioned, it's it's minus fifteen degrees right now, and it's. I don't know, 60 or 70 in here with the fire going right now. And uh, I think he's comfortable at either either temperature, no matter how hot or how cold. Yeah, and even more so when he's closer to you guys, I reckon. Of course, yes. <laughs> ah, thank you. Um, to anything else coming to mind that since we've been talking about Bodie that you'd like to share? You know, I think I've mentioned a lot of the big stories. It's, it's just interesting 
that how how much these guys bring to our lives and you know he's been with us his entire life a lot of these these guys in our kennel have been with us their entire lives we're, we're in the uh, mindset here at our kennel when they come here they stay with us until they pass on we don't uh, trade and barter and sell a lot of our dogs so they they live with us their entire lives and uh you know i think that's a testament to not only the bond that we have to all of our dogs Bodie included of course but to to all of them it's it's our job as uh sort of stewards of these dogs to make sure that they're well taken care of their entire lives. And, and that's what, as I mentioned, that's what dogs are here for to, to be a part of our lives. That's why they've been bred for, for 20,000 years or whatever to be our companions. And it, uh, it only does them justice when we, when we uh, have them have as full a life as they possibly can. Yeah, no, I like that. I, I like that. I like those ethics. It's uh, really sort of like thinking things from from the pack point of view, rather than. And right. don't get me wrong. I know that for in the professional field, yes, you want to try and get a stable of the the best lot of athletes that you can. Um, but there's also that sort of uh, ethic that you have is like, no, this is a a family, and this is the pack, and and we stay together, and that that's a beautiful thing, I think. Yeah, it is. And it's it's one of those things that we we really preach to people that we introduce to the sport. Uh, you know, we're, we're not big time uh, racers chasing after, you know, prize money and sponsorships and all of that. Uh, our job here is to to introduce people to our lifestyle. And that's exactly what it is. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's something that we you know, get up in the morning and, and, and we do until we go to bed. And then if the dogs are barking at three o'clock in the morning, we jump out of bed and run downstairs to see what the heck's going on, whether it's a moose in the yard or, you know, whatever. Uh, it's it's literally a 24-hour a day job. And, and you know, that, that that's an interesting life to lead. Uh, most people that have dogs, you know, they're, they're their pets and, you know, they, they hang out with them when they're home from the office or, or whatever or hang out with them on the weekends. But when you have it as a lifestyle, it is definitely something that you're always thinking about in in all all certain terms, whether it be from a financial perspective, and can we afford to do this or can we not? And you know, uh, what do they need? We need to do for their care, and you know, should we breed these dogs or not? Should we run these dogs if they're old, or or what we should do? It's just something that we're always thinking about. And as you mentioned, that that pack mentality really gets into your veins, and it's something that. Uh, that uh, a lot of people aren't prepared for when they get into a, a sport or a lifestyle like this. And, and unfortunately, uh, they don't uh, uh, persevere very long. So it takes that, that, uh, that, that, that desire to continue, I guess. No, no, you've hit that there. I don't really want to sort of like dwell on it, but there's a, a, a lot of people in dogs in, in general that they just shouldn't have dogs for multitude of reasons, but won't go down down into, into that at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> it has been a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. I thank you very, very much. Do you want to um, give people your social media contacts and where would people get in contact with you if they choose to? 
Of course, Robert, you and I met on a podcasting page. So I do have a podcast uh, that my wife and I do. It's called Dog Works Radio. That's dogworksradio.com. We've been podcasting 12 years ago today. Today is our 12th anniversary. So we've been doing this a long time. Happy anniversary. Uh, well, thank you very much, and I'm glad that uh, you're doing this as well. But yeah, you can definitely find us there. You can find us on social media. Just search for uh, Robert Forto, and that's spelled F-O-R-T-O. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, wherever you would like. I will definitely chat with with whomever is interested to talk dogs. I, I love doing that. And our website where you can check us out in terms of uh, how we interact with our dogs, in terms of sled dogs, we are at Team Aneke, and that's T-E-A-M-I-N-E-K-A, and also TeamAneke.com. Oh, fantastic. Thank you very much. and. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show. If you did, please tell a friend about it and let them enjoy it as well. Until next week, stay safe and remember, your dog is family. 